We're back on the fan morning show. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Baby Friday, but it's the NBA trade deadline, which trumps the Baby Friday feels, Justin. Does it? I don't know. It adds to what, what the is, excitement. What is the Baby Friday feel? Is I don't it, know. Is this it ex- song. This song is a Baby Friday feel, yeah, is it not? Yeah, I, I can get behind that. But it should be, I think the vibe should be Idol sort of associated morning? with that. All right. Well, let's bring the vibes with our next guest, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Blake Murphy, co-host of the Fan Drive Time, a man of many talents and many hours, I'm sure, as of late, staying up super, super late, maybe still haven't slept. I don't know. What's the vibe this morning, Blake? I slept. I got like two and a half, maybe three hours in. Uh, but yeah, last night... The Yaka Pertle thing comes down, and I'm obviously trying to uh, respectfully, without like waking people up or wrestling people with family members, trying to get like the details and the pick protections. And then before I can even finish doing that, the KD thing happens. <laughs> and then what are you going to do at that point? Like it's like okay, turn the bedroom light back on, fire the laptop up, violate the no working in the bedroom rule, and uh, yeah, the chaos. I mean, it's it's great. I'm sleepy, but like a- NBA people. This day and July 1st, this is uh, this is as good as the playoffs. So I, I'm fired up for today. What are you at a slumber party at a camp? <laughs> Not let the, turn the lights on and stuff. Well, I mean, I was like in bed when all this stuff happened. I turned oh, the lights yeah. back on because I'm working. I don't want to work in the dark. I got to worry about eye strain here. Yeah, that's okay. true. Blue light, all that stuff. All right, so let's start with the biggest news of the night, Jakob Pertl, you know, the, the blockbuster that came down first. Um, what's with the Raptors being so obsessed with Jakob Pertl? And also, since you have all the inside scoop, did he just stay at Scotiabank Arena? Did he get on the plane? I really hope he didn't have to get on the plane because that would just be, that's tough for the guy. No, there's no way. There was reporting prior to the game that it was close enough that, yeah, I, I can't imagine he hopped on that flight uh, after. I, I joked on Twitter that, like, he probably just had a sleepover with Pascal. Uh, they used to have pretty epic FIFA battles back when they were uh, on the team together, and the Raptors are off today. So, um, I don't know. I could uh, I could see them having uh, caught up and been really excited about it, even if they couldn't celebrate yet. Uh, the other thing is Spurs' next game is in Detroit. So I don't even know if they flew out last night. Like, I know Greg Popovich has a favorite restaurant in Toronto that uh, he usually makes sure he has a reservation at when, when the Spurs are in town. So I could I could see them having spent the night here and, you know, bus over to Detroit later on today. So, yeah, Yak's, Yak's good. I don't think he had to worry about too much other than, uh, you know, probably the same as us staying up very late, trying to figure out if the... Uh, if his new team is now going to make the playoffs in the East because Brooklyn is free falling. So is that the reason to trade for Pirtle? Like make sense of this for us. Why did the Raptors uh, feel this was the right move? So I, I get it, uh, that that framing of it for sure, because this is a team that is four games under 500. They're in 10th in the Eastern Conference. We've been talking more about the lottery standings than uh, the actual standing. So why are they giving up picks uh, to get a 27-year-old player and a 27-year-old player, no less, who is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year? Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan in general of dealing pick equity to kind of jump the jump the gun on your your offseason spending. But if you want their explanation, it is something like this. 
they don't project to have cap space this offseason if even one of Fred or Gary are back. And by acquiring Jakob Pertl, you acquire what are called his bird rights, um, which then allow you in the offseason to go over the cap to re-sign Pirtle. So uh, this is a little bit of a doing your off-season shopping early, making sure you have that flexibility to add him if he was in your plans. Uh, now, however, that also means that you just paid a bunch of picks for the right to pay Jakob Pirtle. I don't know, my guess at this moment would be he gets like four years, 72 million or something like that. Um, that's roughly the market that, that I could see for a center of his talents. Um, so it's not like you're getting a, a big discount by jumping the gun early on him. I think an extension is not very likely uh, prior to that. And then the the other thing is, and I don't think Raptors fans would be thrilled to hear this given the way the season's gone so far, um, the Raptors have, by uh, net rating and point differential, been the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference. And one of the teams above them in that ranking uh, just traded away one of the 12 best players of all time and Kevin Durant. And the Raptors, despite not fully having their foot on the gas and not playing their best basketball, have won three in a row and six of their last 10 and have they're above 500 over the last 20 um, and so on. Like they might accidentally make the playoffs anyway. And I think Pirtle does make them a better team for the rest of the year. If that's something they're interested in, you know, getting further up in that play and hosting a playing game, maybe being an annoying out in the first round. I know it's not anyone's idea of what a great 2022, 2023 season is. And I, I really do think there's more to come today. So some of these answers might change, but at this moment, I think that's probably the, the two kind of primary pieces of the thinking, get your off season shopping done early. And if you're going to make the playoffs by accident anyway, uh, be a little bit of a better team when you get there. Oof. Uh, Justin's rattled. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's very, that's interesting. That's an interesting strategy given all that's uh, we've talked about leading into this deadline. It's right to deduce then at least we believe there is more to come, but it probably means Fred and Gary are sticking around because if they do go out and it's not comparable talent coming in, you're just kind of shuffling the deck chairs around, right? Like you're you're solving one issue and creating another if you trade, let's say, Fred for a comparable pick in 2024. Yeah, it would be like kind of funny to do that, um, just like optically. Um, and, and I still think there's a chance that one of Gary or Fred are gone because the idea of heading into free agency with three unrestricted free agents who are, you know, projecting your starting lineup, two of whom are uh, the same, uh, have the same agent. Uh, that is not a very good situation from a leverage standpoint. And it doesn't take much for um, your cap sheet to suddenly look like, oh, we're not a cap space team to, oh, we're a luxury tax team for a team that's been a first round exit a couple years in a row at this point. So I definitely think there is more to come. Um, even if that ends up being that it's, uh, you know, part of the phase two of this is is in the offseason ahead of the draft or something. Um, I, I do think it's also worth noting that that 2024 pick, um, I know it's protected. I don't know the exact protections on it, uh, but that to me suggests that this team has no intention of being bad again next year because they basically set up a a scenario where, you know, that, that pick only conveys if they're good and they're not dealing this year's pick. They realize there's a lot of risks still around this year, uh, but by next year, it's back to uh, business as usual. The other small thing here too is um, from an off-season standpoint, Justin, is they got out from Ken Birch's deal in, in this trade, and that's not, 
you know, that it's the old, uh, the Dubis, um, Nick Ritchie thing of, mm-hmm. Hey, you did a good job getting off one of your own mistakes, but that frees up another 7 million for next year as they're navigating all this stuff. So again, not the sexiest answer, Justin, but, uh, that's, that's how I read their thinking at this moment. Okay, Blake. So, um, Woj and co are now turning their eyes on to what happens next with OG, especially with KD moving last night. And, and if that maybe escalated OG's value right now with a lot of people, maybe looking to add an elite, uh, defender, um, to, with Durant now on the West coast, is that how you see it as well? Is OG now even more uh, valuable? And what if the Raptors don't find that fit for him? Is that a failed opportunity to capitalize on, you know, the cash cow that everyone's looking at right now? You know me. You know how I feel about OG. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think he should have had a pretty high value all along. I think if I'm Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, New Orleans, even Golden State, all those teams in the Western Conference, I mean, I'd throw the Clippers in there as well, but they looked so they look so weird last night and lately with the Kawhi Paul George duo and and they don't have a lot of assets. But what I'm trying to say is most of the Western conference should now be re looking at OGN and OB and seeing what their appetite is to, you know, meet the Raptors asking price. If you're the Pelicans, if you're the Grizzlies, you have a ton of extra pick equity. You have a handful of young rotation players that the Raptors would probably covet because they can plug them into the rest of this year and next year's rotation and they're not very expensive if you're denver you don't have that same level of pick equity but you have an intriguing backcourt score in bones highland that's not enough for og on his own but he's the type of piece that um you know would fit what the raptors have and what they need moving forward so maybe you can start to build a framework there um, the one kind of complicating factor is well what are the Brooklyn Nets doing from now from from here and Mikhail Bridges is a very good piece to get back if you are hitting the reset button and you got the four unprotected first round picks you have Nick Claxton who's 23 you got Cam Johnson in the deal too Mikhail Bridges is 26 so he's a little you know he's a little bit older than OG and he's on the same kind of hey I have a really good contract right now and I could help a contender right now if Brooklyn wants to continue the teardown and uh, get even more draft equity out of this KD situation. I'd imagine all those teams that are calling on OG would also make a call on Mikhail Bridges. So then you almost get into, well, there's a bidding war for the buyers. And then maybe the Nets and Raptors are both sitting there trying to get the same thing for two very comparable players. But yeah, I would say this morning, if talks had cooled with some teams on OG, they're probably revisiting those conversations over coffee yeah that was one of my first thoughts when i saw bridges involved in the deal because if it is a complete sell-off for brooklyn uh didn't they just acquire the superior og that could go out in a trade and i've been i've been kind of kicking this around in my head even before the durant thing actually officially went down how much has brooklyn's trade deadline and what has gone on in that boardroom over the last week impacted what the raptors were planning on doing and will ultimately accomplish it's a tough one to to thread because I do think that there were scenarios where Toronto could have gotten in on that Detroit Brooklyn deal and everything kind of hinged on, and this isn't Toronto specific. This is league wide. Everything kind of held up at, while people were waiting to find out was Kevin Durant staying or is he going to turn around and get dealt? And all the chatter initially was, well, Brooklyn's not going anywhere. They're not, they're not coming off of KD. They're going to try to ride this out. And that's why I think that's in part why you didn't see, say a Spencer Dinwiddie routed to a third team 
in that initial deal. I think Brooklyn's going to be extremely busy the rest of the day, whether or not anything actually happens. They're now a team that you look, hey, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, um, Cam, uh, Cam Thomas, Cameron Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, all these pieces are pieces that contending teams will probably call on now that they're ostensibly available. Um, so yeah, the Raptors do have a little bit of competition now in the in the seller's market and maybe a little less timeline. Um, the one talking point I, I don't think was all that serious was, you know, I know some people thought, and, and I, I floated this as well, um, on the the drive time show was well maybe teams hold up on putting assets in the middle because what if they could get KD in the off season? Um, I think that really only applied to Phoenix and Portland, and now Phoenix has obviously made their big move. Uh, so maybe Portland's back on the acquisition market right now. They have a, a star in his prime in Dame, but they're like really bad. They're they're not a good team. So if I'm them, I'm probably holding off and waiting for the offseason. Uh, but I am not a billionaire owner of a sports franchise. So maybe I have a different patience level than they do. I guess as a management team, you're trying to strike the correct balance between cautiousness and aggression. But if I look at what Bobby and Masai have done since the title, it feels like this group is maybe a little overly gun shy. Is there any of that to what their process and how they've gone about their business over the last couple of years? I think that that's a, a fair criticism. Um, some of it depends on what you make of the, the Tampa year and how much you're willing to give them leeway for that. So you can go back to, you know, the run at back season. And obviously one option that off season was, Blow it all up. Kawhi left. It doesn't make sense to go into the tax to keep Danny. Mark and Serge and Kyle are all in their 30s. Let's get every ounce of value we can for these guys. And then the team significantly overperforms. They become one of the most fun teams like we've ever seen from the Raptors, um, in part because expectations were lower. And they decide to just ride it out. And like no one likes to hear this as a as an excuse or caveat, but like. The pandemic happened and a very good Raptors team uh, had to play out their season in the bubble. There was obviously the Pascal Siakam effect. They were still like a bucket from going to the Eastern Conference finals. And then the Tampa season, like it's a complete write off. Now, all of those things individually are, I think, understandable. But then you zoom out and yeah, you did lose Kawhi, Danny, uh, Mark, Serge, Without getting, I mean, you got a championship back, which is pretty good, but you didn't restock the asset pile or, or the, you know, the roster as those guys left. Kyle, you turned into Precious. Norm, you turned into Gary. So so that's good. And, and you kind of roll those guys over. Um, but there is like a legacy cost to the championship. And part of it is they traded four first round picks over the couple years leading up to that. They traded, I think, seven second round picks in the years leading up to that. And, you know, that has a even if you're a good draft and develop team, that's fewer kicks at the can on, you know, the Freds and Pascals of the world. And you're kind of seeing them pay the bill for that now. So this year heading into this year, you know, I, I did think that we needed to see them pick a lane and be aggressive in one direction or the other. And that's part of why I think something more might be coming because just adding Pirtle does Justin feel like, not a half measure, but it does feel like not firmly picking a lane and that's okay for a year or two, but this is year four post title. And I think at, at some point soon, we need to have a better idea of what the timeline is and what that looks like. 
Well, certainly more to come, and you guys will have your three-hour show to break it all down because it'll be right after trade deadline. So hopefully you got some good Raptors stuff to ponder. But what did happen late last night was the KD move. I want to ask about that for sure with you. Um, the Suns now best team in the West, title contenders. Um, how much this moves the needle is obviously easily stated with KD, but just um, I guess your initial thoughts on it happening and uh, how much it projects to be the big the big fish on the West Coast now. Yeah, what a way to make a splash as a new owner. You own the yeah, team seriously. for like 24 hours and get <laughs> Kevin get Durant. Uh, yeah, surefire Hall of Famer as your first move. Awesome. Um, I think Phoenix is going to be really fun from here. Now, all the pieces don't fit exactly the way you'd want, and this is one of the issues about making a superstar trade midseason instead of in the offseason is you don't get all the time to line up the roster around it. Who cares? It's Kevin Durant. It's uh, and I love, love, love Mikhail Bridges. I think Cam Johnson's good too. But you got Kevin Durant, and you're going to be at the very top of the list now for te- for the guys who you know hit the buyout market and are ring chasing. I think the combination of Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and then no, he's not Pete Chris Paul anymore. But that Chris Paul DeAndre Ayton pairing is still really potent in pick and roll. Like. Good luck stopping this team uh, from scoring. They're going to go from an average offense to probably a top five offense with this move. Um, and I don't know that, like, come playoff time, they ranked eighth in defensive uh, efficiency before this move. Johnson and Bridges are both good defenders. Bridges is, you know, like you said, Justin, the the closest comp we have to, to OG and Anobi. And, um, you know, I think they're two of the best and most versatile forward defenders in the league, but Kevin Durant's a pretty damn good defender too. And now you're going to have a chance to, uh, to add around that over the next little bit. I think Phoenix gets uh very, very interesting in a way that like prior to this move, Phoenix obviously had a good record. I, I was not afraid of the Phoenix suns in the playoffs. If I'm one of the, the other powers in the Western conference. Now you got to deal with Kevin Durant on top of all those other pieces. It's uh it's tough. They're going to be a blast the rest of the way. Uh, you sort of alluded to the possibility of an arms race earlier on in the Western Conference. Is there a team that you have circled that really has to make something happen today to make sure that this chance in the Western Conference, maybe going to an NBA title, doesn't pass them by? Yeah, all of them. And they should all just keep bidding more and more for the Raptors players <laughs> and uh, give them uh, give them a haul uh, for that. No, I think, um, you know, you you obviously have the, the more veteran teams that have more pressure, like the Clippers and the Lakers and uh, the Warriors. But those teams, because they've been at it a while and have cashed in chips, they don't have quite the asset base. The two teams I'd really like to see make a move are Memphis and New Orleans. Both of those teams have a lot of extra pick equity, a good handful of young rotation caliber players who, yeah, maybe they don't, maybe they don't uh, move the needle for you a ton in a playoff series right now. But if they're the outbound pieces for playoff help, you can sell yourself on that as a as a seller. Um, and mostly, just you know, Memphis has been creeping up on this for a little while. They've needed a an asset solidation uh, consolidation move uh, for a little bit here. The tough part is Memphis needs half-court offense. So while OG would be awesome there, um, I don't know if he immediately addresses their needs. And then New Orleans, it's more a case of, well, how many years are you going to have Zion in his prime? Because Zion, I saw someone tweet yesterday that even with Kevin Durant in there, like if the Pelicans are against the Suns in a playoff series, Zion would tear through that defense like tissue paper. Like Zion is still one of the biggest individual problems in the league if he can get healthy come playoff time. So I'd like to see them be a little aggressive around it. 
Um, Nuggets, again, less of an asset base to deal from unless someone really likes Michael Porter Jr. and the five-year max he's owed. But, like, they're the best team in the West right now by four and a half games, and it doesn't feel like it. So maybe they're feeling it too. Memphis and New Orleans are the, the two big ones, though. What was the biggest news in the NBA this week, which has since been upstage, was LeBron James breaking the all-time scoring record. I know, like, the the Bronny stuff's out there in terms of fifth chapter and what it, you know, what LeBron might covet in his final, final, final years in the NBA if Bronny does, in fact, get there. Uh, and people did take a lot of notice to his post-game comments and how he could help any team in any situation. He's still that player if it still burns for him. Do you expect another chapter, a pre-Bronny chapter, a post-Lakers chapter that is meaningful for LeBron James, or is it is he kind of stuck in, uh, I, I think Will Liu put it yesterday, the prison that he's created for himself? Yeah, he certainly created it for himself. The uh, It's a, a big hot dog meme of we're all trying to find the guy who did this to our roster. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really hope so. This is a guy who's still averaging 30 points, eight and a half rebounds, seven assists, still monstrously efficient. Um, it's it's very fun to watch a night like Tuesday, but it sucks that that's coming in a loss to the Thunder where the Lakers are like desperate for their playoff life. And, you know, Russell Westbrook's having a blow up with the coach and Anthony Davis looks listless and LeBron, you know, shuts it down for the for the fourth. And yeah, he's dealing with something, but um, it's it takes some of the joy away of watching one of the greatest players we'll ever see um, one of the greatest, you know, aging situations we'll ever see. He's 38 years old and, and still doing this. So um, I hope there is something, it, whether it's the Lakers doing a better job building around it for next year, um, whether, you know, he'll be trade eligible in the offseason. Uh, be very fascinating to see what a LeBron trade could look like if he was uh, open to something like that. But I do hope there's something between now and the ride it out with Bronny years because there's still a lot for LeBron. There's still a lot LeBron has left to give and him going out being a non-factor in the playoffs since that 2020 ring uh, would be pretty disappointing. Well, Blake, we want to take more of your time because you got a long day ahead. Um, get some rest. Enjoy the trades that are hopefully coming down the pipeline and we'll be sure to tune into your lengthy edition of Fan Drive Time on the way home. Thanks, guys. That's Blake Murphy, um, host of Fan Drive Time, as we said, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Didn't get a chance to ask him about Bo Bichette, but we've got time for that. He's got to go rest up and get the Twitter fingers ready. Yeah, he's in NBA mode, although he can pivot. He can toggle between modes very, very aptly. <laughs> All right, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, pulling it up here. There it is. Shuffling the papers. Okay, this is interesting, Justin. Okay. Gary Trent Jr. Alrighty. Is making a public appearance in Toronto. Because yeah, he knows he's not going anywhere. Toronto today at 3.30 p.m. 30 minutes after the trade deadline. Eyeball emoji. Mm. It's a free event taking place in Toronto. KFC Court. I don't know if you've seen that. If you're driving down by the Gardener. Sounds delightful. Is that the Bentway? It is. Awesome. Um, but maybe Gary Chen Jr. knows something that we don't. Would or you maybe look- KFC does. KFC is actually the KFC insider. Knew, they, they know what Messiah is planning and plotting. Woj owns KFC. That's something that you want. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's very interesting that you would agree to a public appearance at th- 3.30 p.m. on a Thursday of the trade deadline. I know that doesn't mean, you know, we're a little tongue-in-cheek here. But certainly something to chew on. 
I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if, I don't know if you'd have the comfort to do this if you, if you really, really thought you were going, would you? That'd be a mess. It would be more of a mess if he gets traded today and then has to make this public e- appearance. Either way, he's got to answer questions that he probably didn't expect to have to answer on the KFC court. If he gets traded, do you think he goes? I think it's probably like I a, think you have to. I think you kind of have to. That bag of money is not exchanging hands itself. That bucket of money. Oh, nice. Ooh. Are All you right. a KFC person, by the way? Fried chicken? Is that your... I'm a great Canadian meats person. Important, yes. That is the only protein that they I got consume. The best chicken. They got the best yum, chicken. Yum, yum, yum. All right. We're going to take a break because we have Matt Castle on the other side, um, former NFL quarterback, of course, current Nesson analyst, used to play with none other than Tom Brady. We're going to chat with him about the Super Bowl and about Tom Brady's retirement on the other side. And then we're also giving away Chris Stapleton tickets. So stay tuned. That's next on the Fan Morning Show. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Ailish Forfar. A reminder to get your Wake and Rake selections in. Another non-Toronto sports night, though. God, do they even play sports Leafs, in the city anymore? The Leafs are finally what? getting back in action. I haven't said Friday. the word Leaf in a week. We could have probably, I don't, what are we talking about on Monday? We probably could have went a couple days without talking about the Maple Leafs, but we've said that code word uh, just <laughs> now. So get those Wake and Rake selections in. You might have to be a little creative, but we need creativity after uh, another loss last night. Uh, Super Bowl, if you didn't heard about it it's this weekend i know the nba is trying to steal the thunder and we teed up the super bowl with former super bowl attendee matt castle quarterback in the nfl for a long time current ns nesson rather analyst uh super bowl little tom brady chat let's go there now now that we've arrived at super bowl week here what's the big unknown the big question super bowl week the thing that's top of mind for you as you uh consider this game on sunday yeah, the thing that's top of mind is really who's going to win the battle in the trenches because I think both of these teams have two of the best offensive lines in the league. And when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles and what they're able to do from the defensive side of the ball, they had four guys with double-digit sacks. They can get after the quarterback, create pressure. And so what will that look like come Sunday? Because that's really the key for the Philadelphia Eagles defensively is somehow they're going to have to create pressure against Patrick Mahomes, get him off his spot, make him uncomfortable. Because if not, we've seen Patrick Mahomes and what he can do. And then in addition to that, for the Kansas City Chiefs defense, they've got a pretty good front themselves. They're eighth against the run this year, and they know that going into this game, it's going to start with stopping that that run game with Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, and that offensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's kind of changed the tempo a little bit for them as well. So it's going to be a battle in the trenches. It was what the unknown is for me and who's going to win that battle. Something I've been considering is, like, which team is the more proven team or proven entity because of course we've got Patrick Mahomes going back to the Super Bowl he's made a habit out of this but aside from Patrick Mahomes yeah there are players that have been there for a little while Chris Jones Frank Clark Travis Kelsey there's the there's the semblance of what we knew before with this Kansas City Chiefs team but it is different and it's a lot about Mahomes where on the flip side it looks like the best team on paper could be the Philadelphia Eagles so between them is there a more proven entity even though one of them's you know back at the stage for the first time under its current construction while Patrick Mahomes is returning to the Super Bowl. 
Right. You know, it's hard to say because there's definitely some carryover, too, from that Philadelphia Eagles championship team as well. And so when you look at it, there's experience on both sides. But I'd say in terms of the overall experience in these type of games, in these big moments, I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs has been, what, the three of the last four Super Bowls or something like that. Now, they haven't won them all, but Andy Reid's got a ton of experience. He's been in these moments before. He knows how to speak to his team. Nick Sirianni is obviously going to his first Super Bowl that he's ever been a part of. And then also the, the, the key component here is the quarterback position, right? Patrick Mahomes, his experience in big games, he's battle-tested. He's been through these moments. He knows what to expect, whereas Jalen Hurts, while he's been in a lot of big games throughout his young career, going back to college and national championship games and understands what these games are all about and all the extra all the extra distractions that come along with it, he still hasn't been in the Super Bowl. So I, I'd say overall, when you look at just the experience and in, in these premier positions, particularly the quarterback and the head coach's experience, I think that that you'd say the advantage would go to the Kansas City Chiefs in that case. Do you buy the narrative, even a, a bigger picture here, that an Eagles team is maybe less battle-tested um, overall because of their schedule coming in and the, the, the strength of opponents, and now they're about to face the hardest team in, in the biggest stage that they're going to face as a team, uh, zooming out individually and just how a team will have to, to maybe elevate their play um, at the biggest game that they're going to play? Yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl is the two best teams in the NFL, and they're there for a reason, and they've earned that right to be in the game. And so at the same time, when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, I don't want to take anything away from what they've accomplished this year. They've been incredible. They've been outstanding on both sides of the ball. Jalen Hurst, his maturation and development throughout the course of the year, particularly in the passing game, I wouldn't say surprise everybody. I just would say that I think it was more something that we didn't know that he could come this far along in terms of where he's taken his game. But at the end of the day, when you are, are talking about the, the Kansas City Chiefs and who they played throughout the course of the year, they definitely had the tougher schedule. They went about out against the NFL's best week in and week out pretty much throughout the course of the year. Their schedule lightened up a little bit at the end of the year. And the people will say, well, the Philadelphia Eagles, they didn't play anybody quite to the caliber of the Kansas City Chiefs. That might be true. But at the end of the day, this is a one-game season. And you can pull out anything that you want in this game and get ready. And then at the end of the day, it's relying on your roster, the guys, and setting forth a game plan that's going to go out and beat the Kansas City Chiefs and vice versa on the other side. Whenever a team wins a championship, there's some instructive elements to their story, whether it's, you know, whether you consider the league a copycat league or whether or not you can do this with this type of player, or this type of scheme. There are some lessons to be learned when a team wins a Super Bowl or any team wins a championship. And I think with this one, we're going to answer the question of whether or not you can win with a high paid quarterback soaking up full value on a contract. And I think if you want anyone representing the, the high paid quarterbacks, it's probably Patrick Mahomes. But on the flip side, you've got a quarterback on his rookie deal. And a lot of the time we talk about the NFL and having success, it's making sure you cash in when your quarterback is not paid what they should be if given uh, or, or they're on the free market. So are we going to answer the question uh, once and for all, if you can win with a high paid quarterback soaking up uh, as much money as they possibly can? You know, I, I think you can. If, if Patrick Mahomes goes out there, 
and he wins the Super Bowl, you say, look, he's abs- he's been worth the investment. Let's let's not sugarcoat this. He's a generational player. He's the best in the game right now at the quarterback position. He does things that nobody else can do in this league. And, and so when you look at the value that he brings to this team, especially with the transition, everybody was looking early on the season saying, what are they going to do without Tyreek Hill? I mean, he, he's been a, such a um, an important part of this offense and an impactful player for them since Patrick Mahomes got there. Well, he – went off and they went out and got veteran guys like NBS, Marcus Velda, Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, and they surrounded him with quality players, maybe not the elite player that Tyreek Hill is, but he's had one of the best seasons that he's had since coming in the league. But at the same time, you look at the other side of it, and as you said, there is a lot of value to taking advantage of when you have a quarterback on his first contract and being able to surround him and pay other positions, and while still keeping his salary to a minimum, comparatively speaking to the rest of the league, and go out there and put together the best roster and win right now. I mean, Jalen Hurts is another example of that that philosophy in terms of how to build your roster. But when you have a special, unique player like Patrick Mahomes and he does the things that he can do, there is so much value in paying him, taking care of him, and keeping him there for the longevity of his career because of the year in, year out, the productivity, the accountability, what he brings to the table as a leadership, as a leader, as a player, and all those things. Not that this should affect him too much as we saw already but he played through some injury any idea or any thoughts if that's still going to be a lingering issue now after a week extra of rest for either of the quarterbacks I guess in this matchup right I I really don't look at as much of a concern especially because I was more concerned in the AFC championship game of Patrick Mahomes going in because we all saw that ankle injury in the divisional round and sat there and go wow that's that looks pretty significant. The way and the angle in which he was hurt, not being able to come back in the first half, but able to come back and kind of get it, get through the second half of that game. But he was able to make the throws against the Cincinnati Bengals. He was able to step into some. Now you could see that he was still hindered a little bit in certain movement patterns, and he wasn't as versatile as he usually is outside the pocket, but he still made enough plays. And I think with an extra week rest, because leading up to that Super Bowl, that one week is really like a bye week. You can do more walkthroughs. It's not as physical. You can and concentrate on getting yourself ready to go. So I, I think that he'll be two weeks further removed from that, and also he'll be that much better for this game. In terms of Jalen Hurts, I really haven't seen um, much of an impact since the shoulder injury of coming back. Now, I know he wasn't probably his sharpest against the San Francisco 49ers in terms of throwing the ball, but a lot of people don't understand also the elements with the wind and everything else going on there probably also played a role in why he wasn't as productive in the passing game. All right, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but we're clearly looking at legacy as we we discuss Tom Brady, which we'll ask you about later, but we're looking at the modern-day dynasty that might be happening with Kansas City. If they do get a win, as you mentioned, they've hosted five consecutive AFC championships. It's their third quarter or third Super Bowl in four years. If they are able to be the champions come Sunday, are we creeping into the modern day dynasty conversation? I think you have to go into that conversation with the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean it is hard to win this year. I mean in this league especially with the parity and free agency and the constant movement and players being picked up and going other places. But to go to five straight AFC championships, to be in your third Super Bowl in four years and win, if they win this weekend and be win two Super Bowls in those last four years, and then also with moving forward, if they can keep that up, 
I mean, you're talking about a modern-day dynasty with the Kansas City Chiefs, just the dominance not only over the AFC West but over the AFC in general is phenomenal. And we might be talking greatest ever for Travis Kelsey if uh, he's going to be a big part of a Super Bowl championship, as he has before. I think it's got to be priority one for the Eagles' defense uh, beyond Patrick Mahomes when shutting them down or attempting to shut them down. So how do you expect the Eagles to game plan for Kelsey? And what sort of concessions or weaknesses will they have to leave available or leave open to be exploited uh, if they if they send too many assets over at Travis Kelsey to try and slow down the tight end. Right. The biggest part about Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs offense, they do a remarkable job at at formational variety. And by that, I mean, they move him around. He's never stagnant. Like he's not a normal tight end, right? He's more of a wide receiver in which he can play outside. They sometimes isolate him on the backside of formations. Otherwise he's, he's constantly moving. He's shifting from one side of the formation to the other. So it's hard to get a beat on him, but they have to have a plan. And a lot of times what you'll see teams do is they'll go up and say, hey, Hassan Riddick, anytime you're going to travel with this guy, and I want you to disrupt his route pattern, not let him get clean in, into the defense right away into the second level, because that's what he's really good at. And then at the same time, you have to pick your poison, because if you play zone, the one thing about Travis Kelsey is he's so good at finding that soft spot in the zone, and Patrick Mahomes feels that very well. He reads the body language, and then he's able to get open. And when you play man, yes. You, you have to be able to D him up and maybe still put somebody in front of him. He'll get his wins. But I, to me, you can't continue to give him easy throws because he'll just pick you apart. Instead, you've got to challenge Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage. And you might it might take two people and have a plan for that. And then at the same time, be able to play more. When I say coverage, I mean too high shell with man concepts underneath and make them run the football. Because that's where I think they're more willing, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, maybe to give up some in the run game rather than get hit with the big pass plays and let Travis Kelsey beat him up. So who's got to be the third wheel for Kansas City? Who's got to be? Who's got to step up, rise to the occasion, and make sure that it's not just Kelsey and Mahomes, that there's some another option and someone else that's making plays out there on the Kansas City Chiefs offense? Right, I think Pacheco's going to be big in this game because they've got to have some kind of balance, especially with the front, because what I, by doing that, they need to have sustained drives. And what that'll do is neutralize that pass rush a little bit. And also, as the game goes on, we'll wear them down. So Marcus Valdez-Scantling, like we saw against the Cincinnati Bengals, he's got to step up in a big way. Juju Smith-Schuster, who was hurt in the AFC Championship, he's got to come back and continue to play a role. And they have a ton of tight ends on this, on this group with Noah Gray, and they like these three tight end sets in which they can create mismatches from a personnel standpoint. So they've got to be able to utilize those guys. So everybody across the board has to step up, but particularly NBS, Juju Smith-Schuster, and depending on whether or not Darius Tony's ready to go, he's another guy that has played a major role down the stretch and continued to grow in terms of his depth of knowledge in this offense, and they continue to utilize him as a weapon. So that's a guy that can make that splash play because you know that the focus, the focal point is going to be putting pressure on Patrick Mahomes and stopping Travis Kelsey for being having a big 10, 14 catch day. Defensively, what do the Chiefs need to prioritize to slow down Jalen Hurts in the Philly offense? Yeah, that, that's that's a difficult task, right? Because when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles offense, they're as ba- well balanced as any offensive unit in the league with the RPO game, the zone read, Jalen Hurts' ability to run the ball, make it 11 on 11. We saw that show up really. I mean, a ton against the 49ers in that NFC Championship game of 
they, they, they look at Jalen Hurts and that threat to run with some of those zone reads, and it just makes those linebackers at the second level hesitate that much in which the, the, the offensive line is able to get to the second level, get hats on hats, and bust a big run. But at the same time, you can't just look at it and say, hey, we're going to stop the run and, and do that because when you look at the weapons that they have on the outside, they are dynamic. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, Dallas Goddard, all those guys can play. So for them, it's a bend that but don't break mentality. I'd say you don't want to give up those big plays because they're capable of it. But again, it starts with the run game. You got to slow down that run game. You got to be accounted for with Jalen Hurts. And then on the back end, you got to try to keep things in front. Let them complete the intermediate route, but make them work the entire field and make them have sustained drives because in that way, it's a lot harder for an offense to go first, second, third down, first, second, third down, all the way down the field. We're speaking with Matt Castle, former NFLer and current Nesson analyst. Okay, so when the Super Bowl comes down to it, we're looking for any type of advantage or edge that a team can have in this high-pressure situation. Do you see that with Andy Reid and his years of experience in a role in this head-to-head coaching matchup against Nick Sirianni? You know, it's interesting because when you get to these games, you look at these two teams, and yes, you can point to the experience of Andy Reid, and there has to be an advantage there. He's been in these big moments. He's one of the best offensive minds to coach in the NFL throughout his career, and so there is an advantage there, but at the same time for Nick Sirianni, we know he's young, he's eager, he's a guy that has really orchestrated this, and, and he's the architect of this offense that has been one of the best in the league all year long, and he utilizes weapon, and he also distributes the ball very well it's not like he's pigeonholed into do it we're gonna live and die by the run no they're very balanced they're they're almost they're almost 50 50 run pass so he knows how he wants to run this offensive unit but it's at the end of the day like i said with these games it comes down to situational football it comes down to one play here or there throughout the course of the game because the talent level is so close and big players are going to have to step up in the biggest moments What's the biggest challenge, weight, or demand on a team when navigating the demands of Super Bowl week? Yeah, you know, it's it's difficult because I went in 2007 with the New England Patriots when we played the Giants, and that was the year that we went to the Super Bowl. And it's it's pretty it's shocking and can be overwhelming at times when you first get to the Super Bowl because, one, you're displaced. You're not at your – normal facilities with your normal routine you get there on a monday you have the media day which you've never seen anything like it as many people as there are and everybody wants a piece of you and there's so many different distractions going on and then tuesday slows down a little bit you still have some media you get your picture day but the the quicker you can get back into your routine of a normal Wednesday, a normal Thursday, a normal Friday, and concentrate on football as hard as that might be, especially being displaced, being in a, in a hotel all week, not being in your normal facility. But it, it comes down to leadership. It comes down to the coaches, and it also comes down to the players. Because once that Monday is over, once that Tuesday, now it's a normal work week, and that's the mentality that you have to have is go out Get the work in that you need to get done on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in terms of your normal prep for a normal game and don't make it bigger than what it is, even though you know it's a Super Bowl, and then go out and execute on Sunday. All right, so Super Bowl week started or or kicked off last week with some Tom Brady news. Um, You're a guy that knows him quite well. Did you see him being an underwear model in his uh, quick retirement future here? 
You know, early on in his career, I don't think anybody wanted to see him in underwear. But now I don't know what kind of diet he's on or what he's doing these days. But I'll tell you what, the man is taking care of himself later on in life, and I love it. I'm going to have to uh, figure out that TB12 method myself sooner or later. But, you know, he's always had a passion for fashion, that man. I didn't know that he was going to go underwear right off the bat. But, you know, God, God bless him. He's keeping himself busy on that bed, taking photos of himself. Uh, I don't know if they're besties, but uh, him and Bill Belichick seem to make some sort of amends on a podcast uh, earlier this week as well. Do you expect that like relationship and maybe the troubles the relationship may or may not have had to sort of dissipate over time and that these two uh, will be cool? Well, I, I think that they've always been cool, and they've always had tremendous respect for each other. Obviously, the best coach ever coached the game, the best quarterback to ever coach, I mean, play the game. And, again, when you're in a relationship where you play together in one organization for 18 years, there's going to be times that you're chal- that relationship is challenging, right, because you might not always see eye to eye. But at the same time, it's the ultimate two competitors and I, I think that they both have such an appreciation for the dedication, the love for the game, their approach to the game, how they they go out week in and week out and do whatever they can to win and the success that they have. Nobody can ever take that away. And that doesn't just happen when you're always at odds with each other and butting heads and doing all that. No, it, it comes through working together, a collaboration and I always saw that when I was there and there were there was always a respect. And it's and a lot of people Sometimes they, they look at the big picture, but they don't understand the grind that the NFL season is from week in and week out, the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs. And for them to have that type of success, what it takes between those two guys, the leaders of your team, one the offense, one the defense. And and it's just interesting always to hear it. Everybody wants to figure out, well, who was it? Who, 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 why, why was it this? Why was it that? And it. I don't think it always comes down to that. It just is that working relationship that they had, and they always spent a lot of time together. And I think people will slowly, slowly but surely start to understand how beautiful that relationship was and what a, what a and tremendous marriage it was while they were together. All right, Matt, last one for you. Most important question. Which Rihanna song are you most fired up to hear on Sunday? Oh, gosh, what Rihanna song am I most fired up to hear on Sunday? Um, you know, I'm blanking kind of on some Let of her songs, even though Umbrella, I love, you yeah, know, Umbrella, a, Umbrella, Ella, no, Ella. Not, not my favorite, okay. not my favorite, um, not my favorite. Work, work, Run, work, 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 Oh, yeah, that, that's me. That's me all day you long. You like that one? Okay. Oh, yeah, work, 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 <laughs> work, work. I'm into that. It's going to be stuck in your head all day long now. There's no doubt I'll be seeing it and probably dancing a little bit to it. I might even turn it on right after we get off. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, thanks for all the insight. Enjoy Super Bowl week, Super Bowl Sunday, and hopefully get to chat with you down the road. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Have a great week. That's Matt Castle, former NFLer, current Nesson analyst, teeing up Super Bowl and Tom Brady's underwear career. At least someone's excited about the Super Bowl. He sure was. And He's you know, fired up. You know what we're excited about, Justin? What are we excited about, Ailish? Giving away Chris Stapleton tickets coming to Bud Stage this summer on August 17th. We've got more tickets to give away. All you have to do, listen to us all week long. Listen for the daily code word. Text it in to 590-590 for your chance to wear a, win a pair of tickets to the show this August 17th. Today's code word is fire away. 
Fire away those texts to 59590 with code word FIREAWAY. And we'll be giving away a pair of tickets today and one more tomorrow. If you don't win with us, be sure to secure your seats heading over to Ticketmaster.ca starting tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Fire away. Just a reminder, the Super Bowl prop sheet is live. You can go to either of our Twitter accounts to find that. Probably our Instagram accounts as well. Mm. Get involved. We got a we got a good group already, and we we're still what three days away. So get your prop sheet answers in, so we can grade you at the end. Question for you. So I've been talking about how I love Chris Stapleton. I've been waiting to get tickets. I what cannot win these fast enough? Waiting. Obviously, to get... Right. Well, I don't think you're eligible. No, of course. My brother sent me a screenshot yesterday of him purchasing a pair of tickets. A pair. Okay. And he was like, look, yeah, like, oh, I love Chris Stapleton. Sent me a screenshot. I'm like, is this... Are you asking me to come come with you? It's almost like he's suggesting that you ask him if you can go right so now we're in a standoff where he's like he and he got vip he bought vip legitimate like barrel experience because you can't buy the tickets yet to the general public what's barrel i don't know it's like the single barrel experience i think you like basically get to play on whiskey or something you're gonna meet chris stapleton seems like it was expensive you might have to swallow your pride and and ask your brother these were pricey tickets this was or you've now brought it up on the air and now you've bridged the the awkwardness is out the door he sent me you're now asking without asking and was like oh my god look at the i got these tickets i love chris stapleton you know it's gonna be exciting sends a screenshot of the tickets and the price of the tickets so I'm aware of how much they were and the experience okay, of the so that's, VIP. Okay, so that's also keys, like, this is how much it's going to cost you if you're coming with me. But didn't ask and just sent it to me out of the blue. It's a real brother move. Right? I'm and a so brother, now I'm I've like, been there. was he asking me to go? Should I ask him to go? Is he going to text me now in about 30 seconds and say, no, they're not for you? Anyway, I just needed to put it out there. Y- you guys got to bridge that gap. You got to figure it out. Nonetheless, tomorrow brother, you can buy tickets family. at 10 a.m., I might, you might, you I might, might have, have to, to yeah. buy tickets at 10 You'll be in line for the see. barrel experience because <laughs> And my brother will be there with someone else. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Jordan, <clears throat> I would be interested. There it is. So we're going to take a break. We have Aaron Rose joining us on the other side, Raptors reporter for Sports Illustrated coming into studio. We can see him throughout the glass window. He is here. And we have Cabby coming in at 830 to do Wake and Rake and Super Bowl Foods Draft as well. We'll take a look at the weekend prop sheet that I've also put out online. You can find that on Twitter and Instagram, and you can play along with us. We have over 85 submissions already, and it's been up for less than 24 hours. People want to play. Aaron Rose on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.